as a federal court rules Arkansas may not enforce its law to protect children from puberty blockers and castration, we present evidence of a major American hospital that performs hysterectomies on minors. Also, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook admits they suppressed information on Hunter Biden's laptop in the lead-up to the 2020 election because the FBI asked them to, telling them it was Russian disinformation. Also, new information on the FBI's illegal raid on President Trump's home and his federal lawsuit against Hillary Clinton, James Comey, and so many others. It's all on today's edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We're the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 226 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Friday, August 26, 2022. Now, just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman. And I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. In August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States is a day that will live in infamy. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Oh, and by the way, Joe Biden's daughter's diary, which implicated him in sexual abuse, is real, and Jeffrey Epstein did not kill himself. All right, now, I've been promising all week long to bring you the details of President Trump's lawsuit against Hillary Clinton, James Comey, and so many others. And I certainly plan to get that to that today. But there's been a lot of breaking news since my last episode, which dropped Thursday. And I will have to address it before I get to Trump versus Clinton. Today's episode will probably be longer than most, but if you hang in there until the end, I promise I will make it worth it for you. Okay, first of all, have you heard the stunning admission Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook made to Joe Rogan yesterday? The great Ian Miles Chong over at Telegram put it this way when he said, if you're wondering why Facebook almost immediately censored the New York Post story, on Hunter Biden's laptop, Zuckerberg tells Joe Rogan that the FBI warned the company about what they called Russian disinformation right before the story went live in October of 2020. Okay, now here is the proof. Zuckerberg on the Joe Rogan show yesterday. 
how do you guys handle things when they're uh, a big news item that's controversial? Like there was a lot of attention on Twitter during the election because of the Hunter Biden laptop story. The New York yeah, we Post. Have too. Yeah, so you guys censored that as well. So we took a different path than Twitter. Um, I mean, basically, the background here is the FBI. I think basically came to us, some some folks on our team. It was like, hey, um, just so you know, like you should be on high alert. There was we we thought that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. We have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump of of um, uh, that's similar to that. So just be vigilant. So our protocol is different from Twitter's. What Twitter did is they said you can't share this at all. Um, we didn't do that. What, what we do is we have um, if something is reported to us as potentially um, misinformation important misinformation. We, we also have this third-party fact-checking program because we don't want to be deciding what's true and false. And for the, I think it was five or seven days when it was basically being um, being determined whether it was false, um, the distribution on Facebook was decreased, but people were still allowed to share it. So you could still share it. You could still consume it. So when um, you say the distribution is decreased, it, it, it got shared. It, how does that work? It basically, the ranking in newsfeed was a little bit less. So fewer people saw it than would have otherwise. So it definitely... By what percentage? I, I don't know off the top of my head, but it's 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 meaningful. But I mean, but basically a, um, a lot of people are still able to share it. We got a lot of complaints that that was the case. Um, you know, obviously this is a hyper political issue. So depending on what side of the political spectrum, you either think we didn't censor it enough or censored it way too much. But right. but we weren't sort of as black and white about it as, as Twitter. We just kind of thought, hey, look, if, if the FBI, which you know, I still view as a legitimate institution in this country, it's a very professional law enforcement. They come to us and tell us that we need to be on guard about something Then I want to take that seriously. Did they specifically say you need to be on guard about that story? I, no, I don't remember if it was that specifically, but it was it basically fit the pattern. Okay. So Zuckerberg here is making a distinction between how Twitter handled the FBI saying, look, you got to clamp down on the Hunter Biden laptop story because it's Russian disinformation. Zuckerberg is saying, well, Twitter just, you know, wouldn't allow people to share it. Whereas we allow people to share it, but we messed around with the algorithms so that if you did share it, it'd be there. But, you know, most of your friends wouldn't see it. Got it? Now, before I share with you a compendium of reactions to the startling admission by Mark Zuckerberg, Allow me to give you an observation that I haven't seen anyone else come up with, but that I noticed right off the bat. If you were to look at the video of Rogan and Zuckerberg, which has gone viral all over social media, and pay attention to their body language, to their demeanor, one thing really stands out right away. Joe Rogan realizes this is a very big deal. But he takes great pains not to let on that he realizes this is a very big deal. As he pursues his line of questioning, 
His voice becomes softer, more subdued. He doesn't want to do anything to tip Zuckerberg off to the fact that he is making a huge mistake by admitting this. At the same time, Zuckerberg's tone of voice and his body language seem to indicate he has no idea how big the cat is that he is letting out of the bag. He is so far inside the Silicon Valley liberal bubble, it does not occur to him in real time why anyone would have an issue with what he is saying. He probably doesn't even know any conservatives. You notice he mentioned what he called the independent third-party fact-checkers that Facebook uses. He doesn't seem to have any idea that they are all on the political left because he doesn't seem to be aware of the legitimacy of the political right. It really is truly remarkable. This guy, he doesn't know. He's probably never been in any kind of serious trouble over anything he's ever done. And he can't imagine ever being in trouble over anything that he and his company do. Now, there's no way this happened without the direct knowledge of FBI Director Christopher Wray. The FBI had Hunter's laptop since December of 2019. Obviously, they knew it was real. FBI whistleblowers recently have been telling U.S. Senator Ron Johnson and who knows how many other members of Congress that they were under direct orders not to investigate Hunter Biden's laptop. So Chris Ray knew. The real question is, did Attorney General William Barr know? You remember Bill Barr? The guy who told us he saw no evidence of widespread voter fraud after the 2020 presidential election out of one side of the mouth while telling his U.S. attorneys not to investigate it out of the other side of his mouth? By the way, did I mention William Barr worked for the CIA way back from 1971 to 1977-1977? No, I'm not going to be discussing William Barr's dad hiring Jeffrey Epstein right out of college to teach at his college, at least not on this edition. Anyway, on to other folks' reactions to Mark Zuckerberg's bombshell that he didn't even realize was a bombshell. Okay, first of all, Professor Margot Cleveland, senior legal correspondent over at The Federalist, asked the question, how much do you want to bet the FBI and intelligence community prompted the 50 former members of the intelligence community to claim it was disinformation too? And she linked to a very short article by Tristan Justice over The Federalist. All right, so let's get that. And this dropped Friday, and it is entitled, Confirmed FBI Colluded with Big Tech to Prevent Voters from Learning About Hunter Biden's Laptop. And here's what it says. Meta CEO, Meta is what they call Facebook now. Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg admitted Facebook algorithmically suppressed stories about Hunter Biden's laptop during the 2020 election. 
at the request of the FBI weeks before the November contest. Speaking on Joe Rogan's podcast on Thursday, Zuckerberg said the FBI approached employees of the tech giant to warn that the laptop was a vehicle of Russian interference. And they got the quote there. The CEO did not say precisely when the discussion took place. In mid-October, the New York Post, mid-October 2020, the New York Post published content from the abandoned laptop revealing that then-candidate Joe Biden had been lying when he repeatedly claimed that he never spoke business with his son or with anyone else. Emails found on the hard drive also show that the former vice president stood to personally profit from Hunter's business dealings thanks to close affiliates with the Chinese Communist Party. Moments after the stories broke, Facebook promptly announced through a corporate spokesman who had previously been a Democrat operative that the company would be, quote, reducing its distribution on our platform, unquote, pending verification by third-party fact-checkers which, of course, are all libs. Now, without disclosing which third parties conducted the network's so-called fact-check, Zuckerberg said, I think it was five to seven days when it was basically being determined whether it was false. Fewer people saw it than would have otherwise. Okay? And again, Zuckerberg said, you just heard a few minutes ago, we just kind of thought if the FBI, which I still view as a legitimate institution in this country, it's like very professional law enforcement. They come to us and tell us we need to be on guard about something, then I want to take that seriously, unquote. Of course, this is six years after the FBI orchestrated a failed hoax to indict President Donald Trump as a Russian agent. But again, Zuckerberg is in his bubble. Such things would not occur to him. Tristan Justice over the Federalist continues, at the same time, the FBI was actively working to suppress information surrounding Hunter Biden's laptop internally as disinformation. On Wednesday, Wisconsin Republican Senator Ron Johnson published a whistleblower report from bureau officials who claimed that agency leaders instructed agents to ignore the laptop's contents. In a letter to FBI Director Christopher Wray, Ron Johnson wrote, and I quote, After the FBI obtained the Hunter Biden laptop from the Wilmington, Delaware computer shop, these whistleblowers stated that local FBI leadership told employees, you will not look at that Hunter Biden laptop and that the FBI is not going to change the outcome of the election again. Further, these whistleblowers allege that the FBI did not begin to examine the contents of Hunter Biden's laptop until after the 2020 presidential election, potentially a year after the FBI obtained the laptop in December 2019. So Johnson's report comes a month after another whistleblower report was published by Iowa Republican Senator Chuck Grassley's office with similar claims that agency officials provided cover for the Biden family. The revelations of misconduct combined with an unprecedented raid of a former president earlier this month have tanked public confidence in the federal law enforcement agency. According to a Trafalgar poll out Wednesday that was shared exclusively with the Federalists, even a plurality of independents has lost trust in the Department of Justice and the FBI. 
That's Tristan Justice over the Federalist.com article entitled Confirmed FBI Colluded with Big Tech to Prevent Voters from Learning About Hunter Biden's Laptop. Well, now, I mean, what does that tell you? One of the things that I'm concerned about is that going into what should be a bloodbath electorally, figuratively speaking, in the 2022 elections for Democrats in Congress, Democrats are acting like they're not worried about a thing as they continue to jam all this stuff down our throats. And that's something I think we should really be concerned about. So Professor Margot Cleveland, after she linked to that article in The Federalist, continues on Twitter. She says, I'm thinking it's now cash rut. I looked that up. It means kosher. I'm thinking it's now kosher to say the election was stolen from Trump. Well, yes, it is, dear. Welcome to the party. Better late than ever. Then journalist Leighton Woodhouse, responding to the viral video of Mark Zuckerberg with Joe Rogan, says, Whatever your politics, whatever your feelings about Trump or Biden, what we need to ask ourselves is whether we're comfortable with Mark Zuckerberg looking at the news and deciding how many points to adjust its amplification up or down based on how legitimate he regards it. Next, Yossi Gustetner over at Substack says, the Ray FBI knew at the time that this lot knew at the time that this laptop was real. Yet they sold Facebook about Russian interference. But hey, DC GOP says not to look back to 2020 and not to criticize the feds. Well, Here's looking at you, Mike Pence, because that's who he's talking about. And these attacks on the FBI must stop. Calls to defund the FBI are just as wrong as calls to defund the police. Nope. You're the one that's wrong, Mike. You're the one that's wrong. Dr. Nan Hayworth. By the way. Isn't that uh, Mike Pence soundbite aging like a fine milk left out in the, uh, the hot Arkansas sun? By the way, Dr. Nan Hayworth, former member of Congress, about Zuckerberg's admission to Joe Rogan says... It wasn't misinformation, and the FBI seventh floor knew it. The 2020 election was fortified for Biden via abuse of government power. Now, fortified, where does that phrase come from? February 2021, Time Magazine did a 20-page cover story about how they stole the election, except they said, well, you know, uh, we didn't really steal it. But we couldn't take any chance of putting America through four more years of Donald Trump, so we fortified it. And they proceeded to explain how they stole it. But they just didn't want to use that word. 
Pedro L. Gonzalez, who writes over at Chronicles Magazine, in response to what Zuckerberg told Joe Rogan, said, you don't live in a constitutional republic. You live under a managerial tyranny where there is little fundamental disagreement and much coordination between the public and private spheres. The good folks over at the Columbia Bugle opined. Tell me again how the FBI is redeemable. Tell me again how big tech conglomerates are just private companies. Uh, Mike Pence, what you got, bro? I also want to remind my fellow Republicans we can hold the Attorney General accountable for the decision that he made without attacking the rank and file law enforcement personnel at the FBI. The Republican Party is the party of law and order. Our party stands with the men and women who serve on the thin blue line at the federal and state and local level. And these attacks on the FBI must stop. Calls to defund the FBI are just as wrong as calls to defund the police. All right, let me, let me say something about that. Hey, Mike, are you a basketball fan? Yeah, okay. Remember Bill Lambeer of the Detroit Pistons? Remember how Michael Jordan of the Bulls used to treat him? Good. Because you are rejected. The great Jeff Carlson over the Epic Times, in response to what Zuckerberg told Joe Rogan, said, We can all rest easy knowing that we can expect another strongly worded letter to the FBI for rigging a U.S. presidential election. The wonderful Julie Kelly, who writes in America Greatness, said, And some people still think the FBI had nothing to do with January 6th, LOL. More from Julie a little bit later. Glenn Jacobs, mayor of Knox County, Tennessee, said, So a federal government agency convinced a private company to shadow ban a story which turned out to be true and had massive implications on a presidential election. This is borderline fascism and should worry everyone. Well, yes, it is, Brother Jacobs. Glenn here seems to be well aware of the fact that the word fascism actually has a definition. See, a lot of liberals think fascism means something along the lines of, I don't like you, or, oh, you meanie. But there is an actual definition of the word fascism. A fascist government tends to be led by a dictator who, while he allows the appearance of private ownership of businesses, regulates them to such an extent that they may as well be government-owned. That is what fascism actually means. And a company as big as Facebook, just rolling over for the FBI, would seem to be a textbook example of fascism. This is the sort of arrangement that would alarm our founders, and it should certainly Alarm every freedom-loving American. Now, U.S. Representative Matt Gates out of extreme western Florida, the Pensacola area, responded to Zuckerberg's startling admission by saying, wait till you hear what the whistleblowers had to say about this. It's going to make January 6th look like a game of hopscotch.
Well, seriously. Congressman Gates says he has spoken directly with FBI whistleblowers exposing political bias in the Bureau. Kevin Roberts, president of the Heritage Society, says it's a rare moment of truth exposing what big tech CEOs think about their ability to undermine our institutions and silence their opposition while working with the government to do it. They are enemies of the American people. Correct, Brother Roberts. That is fascism, and that is why we must break up big tech. Now, I would commend you to Mike Davis's article about that over at his Substack for more details. Mike Davis, who I interviewed on the uh, last episode of the Doc Washburn Show. And coming up, we've got how he basically handed Fox News heads to him on, I I, I forget what they call that, that show that comes on middays on Fox News, but, oh, America's Newsroom. Yeah, yeah. Um, He made short work of John Roberts and Sandra Smith, and it was a brilliant thing. That's coming up in a few. Brother Matt Walsh, over the blaze, says what Zuckerberg told Joe Rogan is a huge, mind-blowing scandal that will be talked about for about three hours and then forgotten. Well, that's why it is the duty of everyone who does what I do, who does a talk show, whether it's on radio or on the live stream slash podcast form, to make sure it's not forgotten. After 246 years of this great nation, we cannot just shrug our shoulders and willingly give in to the slavery that the World Economic Forum and the globalists would yoke us with. We cannot give up on this great country of ours without a fight. The great talk show host Monica Matthews says, please quit asking me to discuss elections There's nothing to discuss. They are federalized. Per front boy's admission, talking about Zuckerberg, she said, this isn't news, this is tyranny, and no one will answer for it. Be sure to tip your waiters. Look, I'm sorry, Monica. I get it. I understand. It's just like I told Mike Davis yesterday. Unless the swing states reform their laws and fix their electoral systems, the Democrats will steal 2024 the same way they did 2020. But I, for one, just can't give up. The House Republicans on the Judiciary Committee tweeted out two words in response to what Zuckerberg told Joe Rogan. Those two words are election interference. Okay. So what do you all plan to do about it? The great Molly Hemingway responded to Zuckerberg's confession by saying the FBI rigged the 2020 election. Indeed, they did. Molly Hemingway over the Federalist.com wrote a great book about it called Rigged. And I would recommend that to you also. Now we have some new developments. The Mar-a-Lago raid, highly redacted affidavit, was released on Friday, and we're going to talk about that, and we're also going to share with you 
the tour de force Mike Davis did with John Roberts and Sandra Smith the day after he appeared on my show. And that is coming up next. First of all, I can't say how much we appreciate the fact that our advertisers make it possible for us to do the Doc Washburn show five times a week. They're not only our advertisers, our clients, but they are our friends. And I hope that you will patronize their businesses because they're good folks. If you try to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website to put you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions and then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live, redriveryourway.com. You will be glad you did. All right, let me ask you this. Does your financial advisor take the time to listen and get to know you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situations change? When you work with Jonathan Presswood, he focuses on what's important to you. He uses an established process to help you achieve your unique goals, whether that's preparing for retirement, making your money last in retirement, planning your estate or inheritance, preparing for the unexpected, or anything else, Jonathan Presswood can help. Now, what should you do if you leave a job and have a 401k or other retirement plan? Or if you're getting close to retirement or already in retirement? Call my friend, Jonathan Presswood, today. He'll help you create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And he'll partner together with you to help your strategy stay on track no matter what life throws at you. Listen, we can all dream of having a perfect retirement, but how many of us will actually experience it? No matter where you are today, Jonathan Presswood is offering a free retirement analysis to figure out where you'd like to be and what it will take to get you there, and there's no obligation. Contact Jonathan Presswood, a financial advisor with Edward Jones Investments, today at 501 503-4844. Again, that's 501-303-4844. Don't wait. Call Jonathan Presswood today at 501-303-4844. Now, if you're like me, you can't remember phone numbers, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com. Just click on the link to Jonathan Presswood at Edward Jones. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. 
Thank you once again to our advertisers, our friends, uh, Jonathan Presswood, Edward Jones, financial advisors, also Mitch Ward, Red River Your Way. We appreciate you guys, and we thank you for making it possible for us to do what we do here five times a week. All right, now let's talk about the Mar-a-Lago affidavit here on the Doc Washburn Show, which was released in a severely redacted form on Friday. The great Rahim Kassam over the National Pulse says the Mar-a-Lago affidavit really does read as if they were confiscating Russiagate evidence. Wow. That sounds exactly like what Mike Davis said on my show yesterday. If you have not heard my interview with the great Mike Davis on episode 225, you really need to check it out. Speaking of Mike Davis... He was on Fox News early Friday, America's Newsroom, with John Roberts and Sandra Smith. Easy for you to say. John and Sandra have an unenviable task. They have to try to placate their conservative viewers while not upsetting their liberal paymasters too much. So they aren't going to tell you the judge who okayed the search warrant for Mar-a-Lago had recused himself from Trump's lawsuit just six weeks earlier. They aren't going to tell you a president has the absolute right to declassify literally anything he wants to. They're going to bring on one legal expert after another who will bend over backwards to try to give Biden's DOJ the benefit of the doubt and attempt to make Trump look bad. They do that two hours a day, Monday through Friday. Now, how on earth Mike Davis managed to get on that little show, I will never know. But he certainly managed to upset their little apple cart. And you know what? I mean, it was a, it was a wondrous thing to behold. So let me share it with you. First, John Roberts' intro. Mike Davis is a former law clerk to Justice Neil Gorsuch, also founder and president of the Article 3 Project. So I don't know, Mike, how much of a chance you've had to go uh, through this. Uh, some of it uh, unredacted, much of it redacted. Uh, we know a little bit about the what. We still do not know much about the why in terms of the urgency to conduct an unprecedented raid of a former president's home. Your thoughts? Okay, that was John Roberts' first mistake. <laughs> Asking Mike Davis for his thoughts. Because Brother Davis is not shy. Here he is. Yeah, so this affidavit, heavily redacted affidavit, it further evidences that uh, this home raid on President Trump was unprecedented, it was unnecessary, and it was unlawful. And again, what I've been saying since August 8th, the president has the absolute constitutional authority to declassify anything he wants for any reason he wants, and he doesn't have to get permission from any bureaucrat at the National Archives to do that. And that is confirmed by a 1988 Supreme court case, Department of the Navy versus Egan. So there goes the underlying potential charge for espionage that was in this warrant. Okay, so now here's what I don't get. They'll bring on Andy McCarthy. Certainly no slouch. A lot smarter than I am. He won't tell you these things. They'll bring on Professor Jonathan Turley. Again, much brighter than I. 
He won't tell you these things. Why not? Why is Mike Davis the only one? And good luck Mike Davis getting back on that show. I mean, Tucker might have him on because Tucker likes getting the truth out. But this this is not going to set well with John Roberts and Sandra Smith, especially not with Sandra Smith. The one who seemed elated to announce that Biden had won the election the Saturday morning after Election Day 2020. But anyway, I digress. Here's more from Mike Davis. Just handing their gluteus maximuses to them, if I may use that term in present company. Second point, the president has the sole statutory authority to make the determination whether a record is a personal record that belongs to him or a presidential record that goes to the bureaucrats at the National Archives and almost certainly gets sent back to the president to put in his former library, the former president's library. And that is confirmed by a 2012 decision by an Obama judge related to Judicial Watch and Tom Fenton's lawsuits against President Clinton related to eight years of audio tapes in his sock drawer. So, okay, now are you going to tell me that Andy McCarthy and Jonathan Turley don't know about that Supreme Court decision? How is that possible that only Mike Davis brings it up? That John Roberts and Sandra Smith on Fox News. I don't get it. What is left, they're looking at obstruction. Well, it is legally impossible for a former president to obstruct investigations into non crimes. Did you get that? It is impossible for a former president to commit obstruction of justice by obstructing an investigation into things that are not crimes. Why doesn't Andrew McCarthy tell Fox News viewers that? Why doesn't Professor Jonathan Turley tell Fox News viewers that? Why is it only Mike Davis? Justice Department did not have the power to even look at these crimes because it doesn't matter what the evidence shows in this affidavit. No matter what that evidence shows, as a matter of law, it is legally impossible for President Trump to have committed espionage or to have violated some Presidential Records Act. The Presidential Records Act actually contemplates that former presidents have classified records. It doesn't differentiate. Congress gives former presidents office space, secure office space. They give the former president staff, security clearance, and secret service protection to guard these paper records. And there's no allegation that any of these records got into the wrong hands, unlike Hillary Clinton's home server, where she had foreign governments hack the most highly classified secrets in our government, and she didn't get an FBI raid. So what was so urgent that caused the Biden Justice Department to go get these records? And I think it's because President Trump declassified and made personal his copy of the Crossfire Hurricane record the Russian collusion records, and the Biden Justice Department never made them public because they're so damning on Obama, Hillary, Clinton, the FBI, and the intel community. Okay. So, Andy McCarthy, who, by the way, I I count Andy McCarthy as a friend. I've interviewed him several times. Uh, We still speak sometimes by DM, which is what Twitter calls private message. But why does he come on Fox News and say, hey, former president doesn't have the right to this stuff. It, 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 it remains government property. When Mike Davis is saying, well, yeah, sure, it's government property, but so is the former president's office, whether it's Trump 
or Obama or George W. or Bill Clinton or Jimmy Carter. And they keep these records for a long time. And the archivist never went after anybody else. Again, the former president's office is government property. So it's it's quibbling over words. Got it? Why is Mike Davis the only one to tell Sandra Smith and John Roberts this? Well, so Sandra Smith, Sandra Smith comes back, and you got to wonder what kind of grid she processes stuff through because she's not buying it. So here is Sandra Smith's attempt to deflect what she just heard from Mike Davis on America's Newsroom on Fox News. Yeah, we know that this unsealed affidavit did reveal 14 of the 15 boxes retrieved from the former president earlier this year. It did contain 184 documents with the classified markings. So she's parsing words. They had classified markings, okay, which kind of dodges the question, dodges the fact that regardless of whether they have classified markings on them, the president has the right to declassify anything he wants to before he leaves office, and Trump did. We learned of those documents, 67 were marked confidential, 92 were marked secret, 25 documents were marked top secret. So if the president was being, and once we, if we were able to see a trail of that actually happening, uh, it doesn't appear in this document, or, or at least uh, it's redacted if it is in that document. If there is a trail of authorities asking on multiple occasions the president to turn over those documents, which they apparently knew were there, isn't that a problem, Mike? If the president had the opportunity to hand these documents over when asked. So it's like she's ignoring everything he just said. That's number one. And number two, since they only have a limited amount of time to talk, because it's, it's TV, it's not radio. Let me just mention something to you. Mike Davis was talking about Hillary putting her stuff all out there in an unsecured server and the FBI admitting that foreign adversaries, our enemies, could see what she was putting out there, including very top-secret confidential stuff. China got a list of our spies that were operating inside China, and they killed them all, thanks to Hillary. But remember, Jim Comey, FBI Director James Comey, said no reasonable prosecutor would prosecute Hillary. So Sandra Smith says, Mike, um, isn't it a problem that DOJ kept asking Trump for these documents and he wouldn't give them up? Which, again, goes to the fact that she is taking DOJ and FBI at their word. 
Whereas Trump's attorneys have been saying, look, we had negotiations going on. We were negotiating in good faith. We thought everybody was getting along. And all of a sudden, we didn't hear from him for a few weeks. And all of a sudden, we got this unprecedented, outrageous, illegal, unconstitutional raid. But see, that's not what Sandra wants to hear. She wants to deflect and take their word for it. Isn't that a problem, Mike Davis? Again, he's not having it. The librarians are asking for copies of the overdue books that are not overdue. The president has the legal right to declassify these records and keep a personal copy. She doesn't want to hear that. But he's telling the truth. The former president had every right to keep these records, and the bureaucrats at the archives did not, as confirmed by the 1988 Supreme Court decision, Department of Navy versus Egan. He's like, I got to tell you about this Supreme Court decision again? Okay, I will. And the 2012 Judicial Watch case against President Obama. With the and I got to tell you about this one again, so I will. The tapes in his sock drawer. They can demand them all they want. The question you have to ask is, is, okay, so they're demanding these records, and Attorney General Merrick Garland leaked that he was deliberating for weeks on whether to order this home raid before he went to a biased judge, Bruce Reinhardt, down in Florida, who just recused from President Trump's civil lawsuit versus Hillary Clinton because of his 2017 Facebook post where he bashed President Trump's integrity. Now, see, they didn't want you to know about that. An honest, objective, fair and balanced news presentation would have mentioned the problems with the magistrate Bruce Reinhardt, who hates Trump and recused himself from the Trump versus Hillary Clinton lawsuit six weeks before the raid of Mar-a-Lago. But John Roberts and Sandra Smith aren't going to tell you that. And they're not happy that Mike Davis is bringing it up. So if he had weeks to deliberate, why didn't Attorney General Merrick Garland get an opinion from the Department of Justice's Office of Legal Counsel, or OLC? And the reason he didn't get it, presumably, is because he would not have gotten the answer he wanted. This was a political raid on a former president and someone who is almost certainly going to be when a you political say presumably, do you know uh, that enemy to be the case? Of, of, of President Biden. When he says he's almost certainly going to be President Biden's opponent in 2024, Sandra Smith is interrupting that. She don't want to hear that. So she pushes back again. She is way over her head here. When you say presumably, do you know that to be the case? Presumably that he's going to run for president? No. that She don't want to hear that. that. That there was a trail of him not wanting to ask because he wasn't going to get the answer that he wanted. Talking about the attorney general not talking to the Office of Legal Counsel to get advice on whether he should do the raid or not. Well, I mean, why else would, if he had weeks to deliberate on something this unprecedented and consequential, why would he not seek an opinion from the Office of Legal Counsel on this? This is a political raid. They said that the Attorney General didn't personally authorize this raid. He absolutely did. They also said that the Biden White House was not involved with this raid. They absolutely were because White House Deputy Counsel of the President, Jonathan Sue, had to relay that President Biden waived President Trump's assertion of executive 
privilege which paved the way for this raid. And so President Biden was absolutely involved in this raid. And so were his officials in the Biden uh, White House Counsel's Office, Jonathan Sue. This is a political hit on a former president. Boom. That's it. That's it. You know, I, I, I wish. I wish that every Republican politician in this country would watch that video because Mike Davis knows what Rush Limbaugh always preached. Don't accept the narrative. Don't argue on their terms. Push back. Mike Davis knows how to do it. And Sandra Smith and John Roberts were clearly bested in this exchange with Mike Davis to the extent that after uh, after Mike said all that, John Roberts knew better than to push back. He just couldn't wait to get Mike Davis, his face and his voice, off the screen. So in less than four seconds, it went like this. All right, Mike Davis uh, for us with the latest on that. Mike, thank you. All right, Mike Davis. With the latest on that, Mike, thank you. In other words, I don't want any part of this. I'm done. I'm out of here. Again, if you have not yet heard my interview with Mike Davis, which went a lot more smoothly than Sanders Smith and John Roberts, you need to check out the last episode, episode 225. Okay, I want to take a look at Raheem Kassam's Short article over to Substack entitled The Mar-a-Lago Affidavit really does read as if they were confiscating Russiagate evidence. Subtitle, there are a whopping 413, a whopping 413 redacted lines. Okay. And that is coming up next. But again, thank you so much to our friends, our advertisers, for making it possible for us to do what we do here five times a week. I'd like to help you with some health issues. You have migraines, neck pain, back pain, vertigo, acid reflux, eczema, problems with your blood sugar, maybe even hay fever. Okay, let's do a little test. Look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Are you tilting your head to the left or the right instead of sitting up or standing up straight? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines, neck pain, and hay fever. Let me explain to you how it works because it's the best kept secret in American healthcare. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas which only weighs two ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. 
If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, reproductive system, circulatory system, even digestive system. And yes, it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, acid reflux, eczema, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar. Do yourself a favor. If you're in Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted, because you probably do. If you're outside central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on Find a Doctor Near You. And I sure hope you can. Thank you again to our friends, our advertisers, Dr. J.R. Crabtree and his wife, Dr. Tanya Crabtree. They're not only my advertisers, they're not only my doctors, but they are my good friends who have been so helpful to me. So helpful to my wife. I'll never forget the first time she got her atlas adjusted. We are walking out of the office to the car, and she's like, Doc, this is crazy. I'm like, what? She said, well, the the big toe on my left foot has felt numb and tingly for years and now feels normal. That afternoon, she texted me while I was doing the radio talk show. She's like, hey, I don't have my regular daily backache. A few days later, she said, you know, ever since I got my atlas adjusted at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, I haven't had a headache. And I'm like, well, how often are you used to having headaches? She said every day. If you have some health problems, I would recommend. I would be telling, I've, I've told people about this, regardless of the fact they're my advertisers. TurnMyPowerOn.com. Thank me later. Okay, Raheem Kassam over at Substack. The article is entitled, The Mar-a-Lago Affidavit Really Does Read As If They Were Confiscating Russiagate Evidence. This is what Mike Davis was talking about. To Sandra Smith and John Roberts, who didn't want to hear it, on Friday morning on America's newsroom of Fox News, and to me and my listeners, on my last episode, which dropped Thursday, episode number 225, and we did want to hear it. He says, the affidavit is out. The one wherein the U.S. government found it necessary to raid a former president's home earlier this month, and despite a whopping 413 redacted lines, yes, I counted each one, The document appears to implicate the FBI, DOJ, and Judge Bruce Reinhardt in colluding to remove documents related to the long-debunked Russiagate saga. Now, here's why. Page 3 of the document asserts U.S. Code 793E, 1519 and 2071, which means they were looking for general national defense information and alleging that there had been some concealment, mutilation, or destruction of records without the approval of the bureaucracy. The problem here is that everyone knows the President of the United States has no ability to perform these crimes. It is impossible, especially as he is the sole arbiter and declassifier of such information 
as expressed in his lawyer's letter included with the affidavit. Okay? Again, why does Andy McCarthy not know this? Why does Jonathan Turley not know this? Raheem Kassam says, what really stands out, however, is the FBI special agent's claim in the affidavit that there may be sensitive compartmented information, SCI, special intelligence, SI, human intelligence control system information, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, or FISA details, as well as not releasable to foreign nationals, governments, U.S. citizens info, the abbreviation being no foreign. Well, let's use our brains here. What has been the single largest crossover point for all such types of information as it has pertained to President Trump for the past seven years? Yep. That would be Russiagate. And in case you need a brief reminder, Russiagate is the long-peddled corporate media conspiracy theory that emanated from the Hillary Clinton campaign, as well as Republican neoconservatives, which was then laundered through the FBI, CIA, British intelligence, BuzzFeed, and more, in order to create the perception that Donald J. Trump was a Russian agent and, indeed, an illegitimate president. In fact, more so than the 2020 election, the claims that Trump was a secret Russian agent who defiled democracy in order to capture the White House is the single largest election denial conspiracy theory in history. The rest of the document is almost entirely redacted, including a very important segment between pages 19 and 23, where they name former President Trump advisor Cash Patel, who explained in an interview with Breitbart that all these documents were already declassified by Trump. What has Patel been most focused on for years? Russiagate. The only other particularly interesting part of the affidavit is the inclusion of attorney Evan Corcoran's letter to the Department of Justice on May 25th, which makes clear that President Trump had declassified the documents in question. Perhaps this is why during the entire affidavit they are not referred to as classified documents, but rather documents with classified markings. Now, that goes back to what Sandra Smith said. In a conversation with Mike Davis, so why did she parse her words that way? As usual, just like the Saturday after the 2020 presidential election when she announced Biden had won, she is carrying water on Fox News for the deep state, for the Biden regime, while trying to appear as an impartial journalist, friendly enough to the conservative cause that Fox News viewers will put up with her. She knows what she's doing. Anyway, so Raheem Kassam says, during the entire affidavit, they're not referred to as classified documents, but rather documents with classified markings. 
Trust me. Sandra Smith's producers of Fox News made sure she used that term before they went on the air Friday. Anyway, Raheem Kassam says, that means that even if there was confusion by May 25th of this year as to whether or not Trump had declassified the documents concerned, the DOJ was made very, very acutely aware of the reality. Even if Trump had removed documents unlawfully, not really possible, Attorney Corcoran reminded the DOJ, and I quote, any attempt to impose criminal liability on a president or former president that involves his actions with respect to documents marked classified would implicate grave constitutional separation of powers issues. Beyond that, the primary criminal statute that governs the unauthorized removal and retention of classified documents or material does not apply to the president. That statute provides in pertinent part as follows. Whoever being an officer, employee, contractor, or consultant of the United States and by virtue of his office, employment, position, or contract becomes possessed of documents or materials containing classified information of the United States knowingly removes such documents or materials without authority and with the intent to retain such documents or materials at an unauthorized location shall be fined under this title or imprisoned for not more than five years or both. 18 U.S. Code, 1924A. An element of this offense, which the government must prove beyond a reasonable doubt, is that the accused is an officer, employee, contractor, or consultant of the United States. The president is none of these. So Raheem Kassam continues, despite all this, the anti-Trump Epstein-linked judge approved the warrant and Mar-a-Lago was raided. Remember? Judge Bruce Reinhardt used to work for Jeffrey Epstein. Which means this now looks like yet another extreme CYA effort that stands for Cover Your Posterior, on behalf of the DOJ, FBI, and Democrat Party apparatus, Russiagate. It always comes back to Russiagate. Now, that is Raheem Kassam over at Substack. The article entitled, The Mar-a-Lago Affidavit Really Does Read As If They Were Confiscating Russiagate Evidence. And... It was my duty to share that with you. All right, I would also be remiss of my duty if I didn't share with you what the great Cash Patel said over at Donald Trump's new platform, Truth Social. And this is jarring. Cash Patel talking about FBI's WhatsApp warrant, okay? He said, today marks another vicious attack from DOJ slash FBI who intentionally jeopardized my safety by unredacting my name in the most reviewed search warrant in the history of the United States. 
This cartel of corruption inside of our government is so devoid of concern about national security, they could not be bothered to see the judge in person. Instead, they literally called in the raid on the home of a former president via the FBI's best friend, Zuckerberg's WhatsApp. The DOJ is on the line for my security with their dangerous actions. This same FBI has been investigating death threats made against me due to baseless political overreach by government gangsters. And in their greed for political vengeance, have threatened my safety again. Me, a former national security prosecutor, deputy director of national intelligence, chief of staff for the Defense Department, and lead investigator for Russiagate, the very investigation they continue to work so hard to cover up. Brown lives matter. These gangsters are on notice. Signed, Cash Patel, former chief of staff for the DOD and lead investigator for Russiagate. And he is Cash, K-A-S-H, over there on Truth Social. Brown Lives Matter, of course, relating to his Indian heritage. Okay? They don't even show up to the judge. They do it on the WhatsApp, owned by Facebook. That's remarkable. All right. Now we got to go to Julie Kelly's article entitled Republicans Don't Get It. And I'm sure this will not surprise you. But she just writes so well. Article is entitled Republicans Don't Get It. Subtitle Joe Biden and Congressional Democrats are plowing new and dangerous ground. Meanwhile, the GOP is silent. And she says, when Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican Kentucky, looks around his adopted hometown of Washington, D.C., a city shamelessly and aggressively using every lever of federal power to destroy Donald Trump and the 76 million Americans who dared to vote for him in 2020, He sees only one menace to the well-being of the nation, January 6th protesters. In response to a reporter's question about a recent poll that ranks threats to our democracy as a top concern among registered voters who responded, McConnell said, I do think that's an important issue. There were those who were trying to prevent the orderly transfer of power for the first time in American history, and that was not good. But contrary to his somber reflections, January 6th was very good for McConnell. He got exactly what he wanted after the tear gas smoke cleared that evening. Julie Kelly says, as I explain here, linking to her article, McConnell's exhilarating insurrection, not only did McConnell intentionally leave the Capitol largely unguarded, He warned of the irreparable damage to the Republic if his Senate Republican colleagues demanded an audit of contested states, the official proceeding actually taking place when the building was breached. 
McConnell later cooed to a reporter that he had prevailed that day. Exhilarating is how McConnell described his emotions after congressional Republicans, cowed by the four-hour disturbance, abandoned their plans to seek a 2020 election audit commission. In a way, McConnell is right that the events of January 6th represent a grave threat to the country. They do, just not in the way he thinks. The Capitol protest is being used as a pretext to criminalize political dissent as the FBI continues its dragnet to round up 850 and counting Trump supporters with new arrests announced just this week. And the Justice Department circles Donald Trump as the alleged instigator of the so-called insurrection. Political prisoners languish in a special jail for January 6th defendants, a hellscape located in the shadow of McConnell's throne on Capitol Hill. Attorney General Merrick Garland's prosecutors ruthlessly seek years in prison for nonviolent offenders, adding domestic terror sentencing enhancements in an escalation of the regime's war on terror against the right. The January 6th Select Committee has made a mockery of itself while failing to sway public opinion. The same poll that showed a majority of Americans feared threats to democracy above all other issues also showed they have little or no faith that the government is conducting a fair inquiry. Yet this phony January 6th investigation provides cover for all sorts of lawfare, not least of which is the production of tens of thousands of Trump's presidential records from his last year in office, a process expedited by the unprecedented denial of executive privilege claims of President Trump by Joe Biden. But McConnell, his Senate GOP toadies, and most Republican House members are intentionally oblivious to the radical weaponization of the Justice Department. Following a brief outburst after the FBI's raid in Mar-a-Lago, congressional Republicans have gone back to radio silence. Promises of a rapid response team to counter the January 6th committee's primetime performances landed no punches as Republicans shied away from much-needed fights over several questions the committee left unanswered, including the lack of progress in the hunt for the mysterious pipe bomber and unreleased surveillance footage. Instead, they pivoted quickly to familiar ground, high food and energy prices. Fear and impotence paralyzed Republican Party leaders as well as those aspiring to hold leadership positions in a potential Republican majority, if the party doesn't blow it, that is. Unfortunately, it appears as though the GOP is doing precisely that. Republican voters, disgusted with the party's wholesale failure to confront the Democrats' scorched-earth crusade with little more than tough-sounding tweets, eventually will channel Hillary Clinton and begin asking what difference their anger and votes even make. What difference at this point does it make if Republicans win Congress in November? 
As the great Victor Davis Hanson observed over at American Greatness this week, and I quote, The left-wing playbook is based on two pillars. The FBI raid on Donald Trump's home, the January 6th insurrection investigation, and selective daily leaking about both. Between the raid and the Star Chamber House inquiry, we are supposed to forget unaffordable gas and food, dangerous U.S. cities, over 3 million people swarming the border, and the Afghanistan debacle. Yet, if the Republicans advance a coherent national plan of action to restore a pre-Biden America, if Donald Trump will focus positively on national issues and not take the bait to obsess on the wrongs done to him, and if grassroots conservatives this time around prepare to preempt massive left-wing vote harvesting, they will achieve their blowout. But Victor Davis Hanson writes, that is a lot of ifs, and meanwhile, time grows short. Julie Kelly says 75 days to be exact. So what's the plan? Who in the GOP is detailing how Congress will dismantle this abusive administrative state targeting their own voters? Where is the pledge to cut off funding to the FBI and U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia, a Biden campaign advisor now handling the vengeful prosecution of Trump voters? Where are the public denouncements of Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco, a longtime Obama loyalist, now attempting to finish what her boss started in 2016 by putting Trump in handcuffs, or of Stephen D'Antuono, the FBI chief responsible for the Gretchen Whitmer fednapping hoax, who sent his agents from Washington, D.C. to Palm Beach to participate in the raid of the former president's residence? Republicans may not control much in Washington yet, but there are other ways to draw attention to this destructive abuse of power. The Biden regime and congressional Democrats are plowing new and dangerous ground, and Republicans appear unwilling to do anything about it. Republican voters hear their silence, and in November, they might hear Republican silence in return. Man, I hope not. I hope not. Biden said at a campaign rally on Friday that if Democrats retain the House, they're going to take our assault weapons away. And as assault weapons, he defined he defined assault weapons as semi-automatic weapons, which, you know, most guns are. I hope Democrats don't keep the House. Man, oh man, oh man. All right, in the meantime, just ahead of proof of a children's hospital routinely mutilating minor children. I have a legal story out of Arkansas which should alarm the whole country. This is from the Associated Press. A guy named Andrew DeMillo. He is the capital correspondent for the Little Rock Bureau of the Associated Press. And he is all in not really a journalist when it comes to anything that conservatives and liberals disagree on. He will use whatever terms are politically correct. He will ignore science. He will ignore evidence to say things the way the liberals want him to say. 
He knows which side of the bread the butter is on for him. All right, Dateline, Little Rock, Arkansas. A federal appeals court on Thursday said Arkansas can't enforce its ban on transgender children receiving gender-affirming medical care. First of all, there's no such thing as transgender children. You're either male or female. Second of all, gender-affirming medical care accepts the narrative that gender and sex are two different things, and that is an idea that was created out of whole cloth by a guy named Dr. John Money, who was a horrible, horrible child abuser back in the 1960s and 1970s, who did horrible things to little boys who went on to commit suicide. Andrew DeMillo, whether he knows about that or not, doesn't care. It's all about being politically correct. Anyway, the article continues. A three-judge panel of the 8th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals affirmed the judge's ruling temporarily blocking the state from enforcing the 2021 law. A trial is scheduled for October before the same judge on whether to permanently block the law. Arkansas was the first state to enact such a ban which prohibits doctors from providing gender-confirming Hormone treatment, again, insisting there's a difference between gender and sex. They're trying to make boys look like girls, make girls look like boys. There's nothing affirming or confirming. He can't make up his mind whether he wants to say affirm or confirm. But it's all politically correct garbage. Which prohibits doctors from providing gender-confirming hormone treatment puberty blockers, or surgery to anyone under 18 years old or from referring them to other providers for the treatment. And then he says something that he cannot possibly know to be true. He says, there are no doctors who perform gender-affirming surgery on minors in the state. He cannot possibly know that that is true. But he wants you to believe it's true, to calm you down. Now, There is a person with a medical license who works for Planned Parenthood in Little Rock who has made it very clear in the mainstream media, we do transgender care. And she has not said that does not include surgery. She has not said that does not include mastectomies on healthy teenagers. She has not said that does not include hysterectomies on healthy teenagers. She has not said that does not include surgical castration on healthy teenage boys. But Andrew DeMillo from the Associated Press states it as a matter of fact. Even though when the bill was under consideration in a legislative committee in the Arkansas legislature, Pediatrician Dr. Natalie Burr of Little Rock Pediatrics was giving testimony, and she was asked by State Senator Bart Hester, is four years old too young for a child to have come to the conclusion that he or she was assigned the wrong gender at birth? And Dr. Natalie Burr said, well, it's certainly not too young to start the counseling process. 
Now, are we supposed to believe that this pediatrician was suggesting that you could start that transgender-affirming, gender-confirming counseling process at four years old and continue it for 14 years and not do any kind of surgery for 14 years? Well, that's what Andrew DeMillo and the Associated Press want you to believe. Does that sound reasonable to you? Because it doesn't sound reasonable to me. Okay, so the Associated Press article continues, quoting the court's ruling Thursday, saying, because the minor's sex at birth determines whether or not the minor can receive certain types of medical care under the law, Act 626 discriminates on the basis of sex. That's ridiculous. Uh, The fact that you can't give a hysterectomy to a boy and you can't remove the testes from a girl, uh, that has nothing to do with the law. What a stretch. I hope and pray this will be overturned. Anyway, the AP says, the American Civil Liberties Union challenged the law on behalf of four transgender youth and their families, as well as two doctors who provide gender-confirming treatments. Now, here's the deal. Andrew DeMillo wants us to take the words of people with medical degrees who, even if they don't do actual surgery, prescribe puberty blockers that are irreversible. This is child abuse, but that's okay with him. All right? He wants you to take their word that, oh, well, we don't actually do the, uh, we don't actually do the surgery. Now, also, the Associated Press just says the ACLU brought suit. They leave out the fact that the Walton Family Foundation, that's the nonprofit run by Sam Walton's heirs, the Walmart people, and the Arkansas Chamber of Commerce brought the suit with the ACLU. They don't want you to know the Arkansas Chamber of Commerce sued the state of Arkansas. They don't want you to know that the Walmart heirs sued the state of Arkansas. That's not journalism. Again, Andrew DeMillo and the AP are liberal Democrat activists. They're not journalists. All right, here's more. Chase Strangio... Deputy Director for Transgender Justice at the ACLU's LGBTQ and HIV Project, I wonder what his mama called him. I bet it wasn't Strangio. Said in a statement, the Eighth Circuit was abundantly clear that the state's ban on care does not advance any important governmental interest, and the state's defense of the law is lacking in legal or evidentiary support. The state has no business 
categorically singling out this care for prohibition. All right. The AP article continues, Arkansas argued that the restriction is within the state's authority to regulate medical practices. Republican Attorney General Leslie Rutledge will ask the full Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals to review the ruling, according to spokeswoman Amanda Priest, adding that Rutledge was extremely disappointed in today's dangerously wrong decision by the three-judge panel. The Eighth Circuit covers Arkansas, Iowa, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, and the Dakotas. The ruling on Arkansas's law comes after the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. That covers Maryland, North and South Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia, ruled last week that gender dysphoria is covered by the Americans with Disabilities Act. Experts and advocates have said that that decision could help block conservative political efforts to restrict access to gender-affirming care. In other words, mutilation. See, but they got to use euphemisms. They'll never say pro-abortion. They say pro-choice because they don't want you to think about what this actually is. Carving up kids. Republican Governor Asa Hutchinson vetoed Arkansas's ban last year and Republican lawmakers overrode him. Pediatricians, social workers, and the parents of transgender youth, which again, do not exist, said the measure would harm a community already at risk for depression and suicide. Again, suicide rates are through the roof. When these kids hit their 20s and they want to undo what has been done and realize it is irreversible. But the folks who prey on them are demented and they want you to think the exact opposite. And, of course, Rhino Hutchinson goes along with him. Hutchinson has said he would sign such legislation if it only focused on gender-confirming surgery. Again, with the euphemisms, if it only focused on mutilation. On Thursday, he called Arkansas's ban the most extreme law in the country and urged lawmakers to scale it back next year with a more narrow focus to protect our children. Aza Hutchinson doesn't care whether children are protected. I think that should be obvious by now. I'm done. That's enough. I mean, it goes on and on and on, but you get the idea. You get the picture. Okay, next. We have an article by a woman who goes as libs of TikTok. What she does is she gets the craziest, wackiest, most awful stuff that liberals say and do on TikTok, and she publicizes it on Twitter, and the libs freak out because the things that they say and do and believe in are often abhorrent to normal people. Got it? So, she's got an article over at Substack proving 
what some of these hospitals are actually up to. And I got to tell you, it is beyond troubling. And embedded in the article, she has actual audio from when she called a hospital masquerading as a mother looking for a a hysterectomy for her 16-year-old daughter and what she said and what they said. Okay, so this is Libs of TikTok.com. Article entitled Audio, Children's Hospital Admits to Performing Hysterectomies on Trans Minors. And this just dropped on Thursday. She says, last week I was viciously attacked by the media for raising awareness about Boston Children's Hospital. Offering gender-affirming hysterectomies for young girls. Left-wing activists call for me to be banned from social media for drawing attention to a practice Boston Children's Hospital was publicly advertising. The attacks lasted for a week. They gaslit the public and denied that these types of procedures were being performed on children. According to the media, I was baselessly stoking anti-trans outrage and therefore deserved to be silenced. Undeterred, I decided to focus on finding out if other children's hospitals were engaged in these barbaric practices too. That's when I stumbled across Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C., Scrolling through their site, I came across a page which says the hospital treats young patients between the ages of 0 and 21 for gynecology care and gender-affirming medical treatments, including hysterectomies. Oh, my. So doing hysterectomies on babies. Really? She says... I thought perhaps this was just poor wording. Maybe they actually refused to perform hysterectomies on minors under the age of 18, but failed to make that clear on this page. So I decided to call and find out. What Children's National Hospital told me shocked me to my core. In the audio recording, which she has embedded, In this article, Children's National confirmed that they do, in fact, perform gender-affirming hysterectomies on 16-year-olds and much younger children. Okay, tell you what. Let's just go ahead and play the audio she's talking about before we go any further into the article. And the audio is about 3 minutes and 22 seconds. So here we go. Thank you 
for calling National Hospital. Your call may be recorded for quality assurance. I was calling uh, for information about gender affirming hysterectomies. Okay, you said gender affirming hysterectomy. I've been in touch with quite a few hospitals, um, and a lot of them, well, they said they won't do it for for my 16 year old. Um, and then I was told that this hospital might, and I also saw it on your website. Um, so if you guys do uh, do it for a 16 year old, I'll, I would be happy for you know to come for a consultation or whatever it takes. Let me get you over to the operator, and I hate to crap for you. I just I just need to want to know if if you guys do service that age, you know, before obviously before coming you know coming all the way for an in-person consult and going through all the paperwork well, and everything. Yeah, it depends. Each department is different. Some, some departments cut off for 18. How old, is, how old is your patient? 16. Okay. All right. So they're in the clear. I'll email um, the call. And- Did you get that? Some departments cut off at 18. Won't do it below 18. How old is your patient? 16, which she'd already said. Oh, okay. You're in the clear. Sure. See what we can do. Okay. In the meantime, if you still want me to transfer you, I'm still transfer you to surgery. So she gets transferred Hi, to surgery. I was calling um, because I'm looking for information about the gender affirming hysterectomies that you guys offer. Am I in the right place? Okay. Yes. Um, this is a clinic. Did you want to make an appointment? So I was just wondering. I've I've contacted quite a few hospitals already. Um, it seems like it's difficult to find one that does the operation um, for my 16 year old. And I was told that you guys do do that. Um, so if you do it for 16 year olds, then yes, I'd love to schedule um, an appointment, a consultation, whatever you need. If, if you don't mind me asking, um, what is your child's gender change into? So I can point you to the right direction. Yeah. Okay, wait. She said I want to get a hysterectomy. Clearly, that's not a child changing from male to female. These people aren't that bright. Matter of fact, they're non-bright enough to give the game away on the phone. Here we go. Well, he transitioned to a male. You know, he already had the top surgery, um, and now we're looking for the hysterectomy. Okay, beautiful. So I'm going to transfer you to the GYN nurse line. One of the nurses will give you a call to give you more information and to let you know the steps and the protocol that they do for that, okay? Okay. So... So they do. So they would do it um, for uh, for that age. Yes. Okay, great. Is it a common procedure that you guys do for for that age? Yes. Um, we have um, all different type of age groups that comes in for that. For the gender, for the hysterectomy. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Just out of curiosity, do you know, like, what's the youngest age you would do it on? I'm not sure, but I have seen younger kids. And I'm not, you know, stupid, but I'm not allowed to say that, but I have seen younger kids younger than your child. Get the gender affirming hysterectomy surgery? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, okay. I really appreciate your help. She's not sure. Um, because of HIPAA rules, but she'll go ahead and say it anyway, that she has seen kids coming in much younger than 16 to get 
hysterectomies, much younger than 16. Oh, my goodness. So going back to the article from Libs of TikTok, she says, gender-affirming hysterectomy is a fancy euphemism for the carving out of girls' reproductive system because she's confused about her identity. It is a permanent, irreversible procedure that makes it impossible for her to bear children later in life. These barbaric procedures on minors need to be criminalized. Instead, they are being promoted and widely encouraged at least until you draw attention to that fact. Then the gaslighting begins and they assure you that no such thing is happening. Children's National must have seen the negative coverage about Boston's Children's Hospital because they modified their website the day after I took screenshots of it, gender-affirming hysterectomies was no longer listed as a procedure available for minors. But you can see the archived version right here, and she links to the Wayback Machine, where you look at archived versions of websites that people have changed. She said, if you're not quite ready to have your daughter's uterus carved out, Children's National has an entire gender program dedicated to providing your child with other life-altering medical treatments such as hormone replacement therapy. See, I take you back to Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, who thinks that as long as you're not doing actual surgery, then everything should be fine because... The hormone replacement therapy, he he, he doesn't care. He he thinks, I don't know if he thinks that is reversible or doesn't care, but he doesn't care. So she says, sadly, I can predict how the media will respond to this report. Instead of being outraged by the irreversible damage being done to confused children who are too young to vote, too young to drink, They will be outraged that I have shed light on the problem. They will launch new attacks on me instead of condemning these barbaric practices. But in doing so, they will tell you more about themselves than anything else. Hopefully, they'll prove me wrong. Stay tuned for more. This is only the beginning. Now, sure enough. There was outrage. But the outrage was not at the mutilators. It was at the person exposing the mutilation. I'm reminded of a a verse out of Galatians where the Apostle Paul said, Have I now... Become your enemy for telling you the truth. Well, sometimes, yeah. So Peter Jameson, reporter for the Washington Post, did an article. And that article, he said, Children's National Hospital, much like Boston Children's Hospital a couple weeks ago, 
is now being flooded with threats and harassment after a right-wing activist started an uproar over the hospital's programs for trans kids. Here's what happened. Now, he doesn't need actual proof there are threats. He's going to take their word for it. He will take the word of these child abusers, these mutilators, that they're being threatened and harassed. Okay? By starting an uproar, of course, what he means is accurately reported. Now, Stephen L. Miller, not to be confused with the former Trump advisor, but a guy who writes a lot of stuff over the spectator. He responded to Peter Jameson saying this out there on the Twitter, this Washington Post reporter, by saying, so if I'm to understand a Twitter user and citizen legally recorded a phone call with hospital staffers, made public their words, and the recording and the professionally paid journalist for the Washington Post is taking issue with the person who recorded it? He says, Peter Jameson, if a Twitter account is recording phone calls and making them public to hear, then have you considered asking yourself, what do we need you for? He said, this is incredibly bad journalism. It's pure malfeasance. And he has screenshots of the Washington Post article. It says, Children's National Hospital has been inundated with threatening emails and phone calls. Again, he doesn't ask for any proof. After an influential right-wing Twitter account published a recording that falsely suggested the hospital is performing hysterectomies on transgender children, a hospital spokeswoman said. Okay, so your employees are lying on the phone to a woman who wants to schedule a hysterectomy for a 16-year-old? Falsely? Washington Post continues. Such statements have not dispelled the furor Ray Chick's Thursday post unleashed. Ray Chick is the libs of TikTok's woman's last name. Right-wing media outlets, including Fox News and the Daily Caller, ran stories based on the erroneous information provided in the telephone conversations. No. No, either your employees were lying about the services you provide, or you're lying. And, of course, they weren't lying, so you're lying. But this is cool. As far as the Washington Post is concerned, let's pretend that several employees of Children's National Hospital and Washington Post intentionally gave an anonymous caller information about what they do, how they do it, and who they're willing to do it to that was wrong. Well, you know that didn't happen. The libs of TikTok ladies said on Twitter, to be clear, Washington Post is more upset that some people wrote mean comments on Children National's tweet than the fact that young, confused kids are getting their uteruses ripped out. And that's true. That is what they're more upset about. Now, I would take you to a thread of tweets by Jeffrey Ingersoll, editor-in-chief over the Daily Caller, who said the oddest thing about this persistent media campaign on institutions being harassed 
as a result of reporting is that it is one of the very purposes of reporting. We tell the public things that powerful institutions would rather not be publicly known. In many ways, the function of media is to gin up public pressure on institutions that are not serving the public as well as they should be. So it's very bizarre and still obvious why these stories are framed in such a way as to gain the attention of various platforms. The intent here for Peter Jameson and the Washington Post and others who do similarly is not to protect the vulnerable. It is to ban any opposition to their worldview under the rather transparent lie that they are protecting the vulnerable. Have you ever heard one of these liberal journalists who says something like, I got into journalism or what I think journalism should be is afflicting the comfortable and comforting the afflicted? And then you look at something like this, at Peter Jameson of the Washington Post or Andrew DeMillo of the Associated Press, and you see they got it completely backwards. Completely backwards. They are afflicting the afflicted. And they are comforting the comfortable. Completely backwards. And yet, they can't see it. Because they don't want to see it. And that's the truth. Have I now become your enemy? for telling you the truth. All right, let's finally take a look at Donald Trump's lawsuit that no one is talking about against Hillary and a whole lot of other people. Now, remember, this is the lawsuit that the magistrate judge in South Florida recused himself from six weeks before the raid on Mar-a-Lago. He said, I could not be objective. I have to recuse myself. I, I can't hear this lawsuit because he had been all over social media talking about how he hates Donald Trump. But then he doesn't recuse himself from taking the affidavit and signing off on a search warrant of Mar-a-Lago. And it seems nobody on Fox News wants you to know about that, except possibly Tucker Carlson, Jesse Waters, and Laura Ingram. But certainly not Sandra Smith and John Roberts. Oh, no, 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 no. So here's the lawsuit. And it is 108 pages long. So I hope you will forgive me if I don't read the whole thing. But I have to share enough of it with you so that you'll get the gist of it. I feel like it's my duty. All right, U.S. District Court, Southern District of Florida. Donald J. Trump is the plaintiff versus a whole bunch of defendants. Hillary R. Clinton, HFACC, Inc., which is Hillary for America Campaign Committee, I'm sure. Democrat National Committee, DNC Services Corporation, Perkins Coy, LLC, that was their law firm. Michael Sussman, that was their lawyer. Mark Elias, another lawyer they had. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, 
U.S. Representative from Southern Florida, Charles Halliday Dolan, Jr. He was one of the guys apparently responsible for putting together the uh, the fraudulent Steele dossier. Jake Sullivan worked for Hillary, now National Security Advisor for Biden. John Podesta, former National Security Advisor. Robert E. Mook, that's Robbie Mook, uh, top confidant and advisor to Hillary. Philippe Reigns, same. Fusion GPS, uh, they were the um, the research company that helped put together the dossier. Glenn, Glenn Simpson, who helped put together the dossier. Peter Fritsch, I don't remember. Nellie Orr and Bruce Orr. Bruce Orr worked for the FBI, and his wife did... Uh, Ham Radio, and they were facilitators, conduits of getting fraudulent information back and forth, allegedly about Trump and Russia. Orbis Business Intelligence Limited, you got me. Christopher Steele, Steele dossier. Igor Danchenko, the guy who fed him a bunch of stuff, which he said was not legit. It was just bar talk. New Star Incorporated, not sure. Rodney Joffe, I should know, but don't. James Comey the horrible former FBI director, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, the people who uh, were violating their vows with each other while illegally trying to keep Trump from being elected and trying to take him down afterwards. Kevin Kleinsmith, FBI attorney who lied who changed documents saying that Carter Page actually was helping our CIA to spy on the Russians. He changed it to say the opposite and got a little slap on the wrist, no jail time, and still a lawyer in good standing in Washington, D.C. Andrew McCabe, number two to Comey, who knew everything that was going on, and suing a bunch of John Doe's and a bunch of ABC corporations because they're not sure everybody who should be attached to this lawsuit yet. Okay, complaint for damages and demand for trial by jury. The plaintiff, Donald J. Trump, by and through his undersigned counsel, hereby serves his suit against the defendants, and it names them off all again. Introduction, number one. In the run-up to the 2016 presidential election, Hillary Clinton and her cohorts orchestrated an unthinkable plot. One that shocks the conscience and is an affront to the nation's democracy. Acting in concert, the defendants maliciously conspired to weave a false narrative that their Republican opponent, Donald J. Trump, was colluding with a hostile foreign sovereignty. The actions taken in furtherance of their scheme, falsifying evidence, deceiving law enforcement, and exploiting access to highly sensitive data sources are so outrageous, subversive, and incendiary that even the events of Watergate pale in comparison. Number two, under the guise of opposition research, data analytics, and other political stratagems, the defendants, the defendants nefariously sought to sway the public's trust. They worked together with a single self-serving purpose to vilify Donald J. Trump. Indeed, their far-reaching Conspiracy was designed 
to cripple Trump's bid for the presidency by fabricating a scandal that would be used to trigger an unfounded federal investigation and ignite a media frenzy. Number three, the scheme was conceived, coordinated, and carried out by top-level officials at the Clinton campaign and the DNC, including the candidate herself, who attempted to shield her involvement behind a wall of third parties. To start, the Clinton campaign and the DNC enlisted the assistance of their shared counsel, Perkins Coy, a law firm with deep Democrat ties in the hopes of obscuring their actions under the veil of attorney-client privilege. Perkins Coy was given the task of spearheading the scheme to find or fabricate proof of a sinister link between Donald J. Trump and Russia. To do so, Perkins Coy launched parallel operations. On one front, Perkins Coy partner Mark Elias led an effort to produce spurious opposition research claiming to reveal illicit ties between the Trump campaign and Russia operatives. On a separate front, Perkins Coy partner Michael Sussman headed a campaign to develop misleading evidence of a bogus back-channel connection between email servers at Trump Tower and a Russian-owned bank. Number four. Mark Elias, in his mission to obtain derogatory anti-Trump opposition research, commissioned Fusion GPS, an investigative firm, and its co-founders Peter Fritsch and Glenn Simpson, and directed them to dredge up evidence, actual or otherwise, of collusion between Trump and Russia. Fritsch and Simpson, in turn, enlisted the assistance of Orbis Limited and its owner, Christopher Steele, to produce a series of reports purporting to contain proof of that supposed collusion. Of course, the now fully debunked collection of reports known as the Steele dossier was riddled with misstatements, misrepresentations, and most of all, flat-out lies. In truth, the Steele dossier which was largely based upon information provided to Steele by his primary subsource, Igor Danchenko, who was subsequently indicted for falsifying his claims. Even more damning, Danchenko had close ties to senior Clinton campaign official Charles Halliday Dolan Jr., who knowingly provided false information to Danchenko who relayed it to Steele, who reported it in the Steele dossier, and eagerly fed the deceptions to both the media and the FBI. This duplicitous arrangement existed for a singular self-serving purpose, to discredit Donald J. Trump and his campaign. Number five, 
At the same time, Michael Sussman, in his hunt for damaging intel against the Trump campaign, turned to New Star Incorporated, an information technology company, and one of its top executives, Rodney Joffe, a fervent anti-Trumper who had recently been promised a high-ranking position with the Hillary Clinton administration to exploit their access to non-public data in search for a secret back-channel connection between Trump Tower and Alpha Bank. When it was discovered that no such channel existed, the defendants resorted to truly subversive measures, hacking servers at Trump Tower, Trump's private apartment, and most alarmingly, the White House. Can you believe this? This ill-gotten data was then manipulated to create a misleading inference and submitted to law enforcement in an effort to falsely implicate Donald J. Trump and his campaign. All of these acts were carried out in coordination with the Clinton campaign and the DNC at the behest of certain Democrat VIPs. Now, why is nobody talking about this? Have you heard any other talk show hosts? Maybe. I can't listen to all of them. Have you heard Fox News? Maybe. I can't watch it 24-7. But why is nobody talking about this? Number six in the Trump versus Clinton et al. lawsuit. While their multi-pronged attack was underway, the defendants seized on the opportunity to publicly malign Donald J. Trump by instigating a full-blown media frenzy. Indeed, the Clinton campaign and DNC admittedly on a mission to raise the alarm about their contrived Trump-Russia link repeatedly fed information to the media and shamelessly promoted their false narratives All the while, Hillary Clinton, Jake Sullivan, Debbie Debbie Wasserman Schultz, and others did their best to proliferate the spread of those dubious and false claims through press releases, social media, and other public statements. Number seven, the fallout from the defendant's actions was not limited to the public denigration of Trump and his campaign. The Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, relying on the defendant's fraudulent evidence, commenced a large-scale investigation and expended precious time, resources, and taxpayer dollars looking into the spurious allegation that the Trump campaign had colluded with the Russian government to interfere in the 2016 presidential election. The effects of this unfounded investigation were prolonged and exacerbated by the presence of a small faction of Clinton loyalists who were well-positioned within the Department of Justice and the FBI. James Comey, Andrew McCabe, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, Kevin Kleinsmith, and Bruce Orr. These government officials were willing to abuse their positions of public trust to advance the baseless probe to new levels, including obtaining an extrajudicial FISA warrant and instigating the commencement of an oversight investigation headed by Special Counsel Robert Mueller 
As a result, Donald J. Trump and his campaign were forced to expend tens of millions of dollars in legal fees to defend against these contrived and unwarranted proceedings. Justice would ultimately prevail. Following a two-year investigation, special counsel Mueller went on to exonerate Donald J. Trump and his campaign with his finding that there was no evidence of collusion with Russia. Number eight. The full extent of the defendant's wrongdoing has been steadily and gradually exposed by special counsel John Durham, who has been heading a DOJ investigation into the origins of the Trump-Russia conspiracy. To date, he has already issued indictments to Sussman and Danchenko, among others, for proffering false statements to law enforcement officials. As outlined below, these speaking indictments not only implicate many of the defendants named herein, but also provide a great deal of insight into the inner workings of the defendants' conspiratorial enterprise. Based on recent developments, And the overall direction of Durham's investigation, it seems all but certain that additional indictments are forthcoming. Number nine. In short, the defendants, blinded by political ambition, orchestrated a malicious conspiracy to disseminate patently false and injurious information about Donald J. Trump and his campaign, all in the hopes of destroying his life, his political career, and rigging the 2016 presidential election in favor of Hillary Clinton. When their gambit failed and Donald J. Trump was elected, the defendants' efforts continued unabated, merely shifting their focus to undermining his presidential administration. Worse still, the defendants continue to spread their vicious lies to this day as they unabashedly publicize their thoroughly debunked falsehoods in an effort to ensure that he will never be elected again. The deception, malice, and treachery perpetrated by the defendants has caused significant harm to the American people and to the plaintiff, Donald J. Trump, and they must be held accountable for their heinous acts. Now, after that, there is a section about jurisdiction and venue, And there's a section about who all these defendants are. Goes into great detail on that. And then, a statement of facts. And we've been going for a long time. And I'm not going to be able to continue two hours into this thing, late on a Friday night to be able to give you the statement of the facts. But I would encourage you to get hold of a copy of this Trump versus Hillary Clinton lawsuit and read it at your leisure. I'm pretty sure I've shared more of it with you than anybody else in media. And I hope that you will peruse it. I hope that you will read the rest of it. 
Okay, now, I told you this is probably going to be a longer show than usual. And I promised you that if you hung into the end, I would make it worth your while. And so that is what I plan to do right now. Hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA. Believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online and have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States, the lower 48. So this tweet of the day is going to make it worth your while. Here is the audio from a video that is less than two and a half minutes long, and I guarantee you it is the most important message you will ever hear. God, in his goodness and in his mercy, sent forth his son, who was not born of ordinary generation, but was born of a virgin. Yes, the virgin birth matters. Why? Because if he's born of ordinary generation, he's born in sin. But because he's not born of ordinary generation, he's not born in sin. He's clean of sin. His record is clean. And he keeps his record clean. And he obeys God's law. And because he's fully God and fully man, he obeys the law of God on our behalf in his active obedience. And then in his passive obedience, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. All we like sheep had gone astray. Each of us had turned to his own way, but God laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And Christ died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust. And God imputes our sinfulness to him. And he nails our sinfulness to the tree. And Christ dies and raises again on the third day for our justification. And there's another imputation. The righteousness of Christ is actually imputed to us so that God can be both just and the justifier of the one who places faith in Jesus Christ. So that all those who come to Christ may enter in. So that all those who place faith in Christ might be saved, but not only saved but sanctified because he's the firstborn of many brethren. We're justified and we're adopted into the family of God and we're sanctified. And as his children, we begin to bear the family resemblance and we're further sanctified throughout this life by the very same gospel that saves us until one day when it's all said and done. We're not just saved from the penalty of sin. We're not just saved from the power of sin, but one day we're glorified and saved from the very presence of sin. That's the gospel that we preach. That's the gospel that we need. And that's the gospel that's more than enough. In less than two and a half minutes, you just heard a message that if you accept it, will change your life. Change your life for time and eternity in a way that no other message could. 
And I'm humbled and I'm honored that God has given me this platform to be able to share that message with you. Now, there are people wondering, well, who, who is that man that we just heard? What is his name? His name is Vody Bauckham Jr. His first name is spelled V as in Victor, O-D-D as in dog, dog, I-E. I know, it looks like it would be pronounced Vody, but it's pronounced Vody. His last name is spelled B-A-U-C-H-A-M. And when you look him up, you know, you can find his testimony and that, that, that whole thing. But what's much more important than his testimony is the gospel. And that is what he just shared in less than two and a half minutes. That is the nexus. That is the core of the gospel right there. Testimonies are great. But testimonies are not the gospel. The gospel is what you just heard. I hope you will do the right thing in response to it. All right, having said all that, you've been listening to episode 226 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible. Directed by Mick Messy, this has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you would like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof of a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier the 10th. And that's the way it is. Saturday. August 27th, 2022.